Well, again, just uh, super excited about, uh, about Alpha kicking off tomorrow. And uh, it's not too late to invite someone. 24, well, no, more than that. I can't count. Uh, I don't know, 30 hours, 30 some hours. Uh, to, to call somebody up and say, hey, come to Alpha with me, right? And uh, excited about uh, what, what God's going to do through that in, uh, in the weeks to come. So, since, uh, since 2019... Uh, when I published my book, uh, Bottomless Cup, I've had a number of people ask me um, if I was going to preach on the principles and the content of this book. And uh, I've intended to, at some point, uh, to get to that, uh, but just really didn't want to do so until I felt the Holy Spirit kind of release me, give me uh, the, the green light to do that. And, uh, and I have to say, it, it does feel a little bit awkward because I don't want this to feel like a, sa a sales job for buying this. Um, uh, we've, been, we've had the book for sale uh, in the office for the last couple years, last three years, two and a half years. Um, so if you're interested in buying it, it is there, but... Uh, but um, but again, yeah, just really don't want this to feel like a sales job. But at the same time, that's no reason for me to kind of keep the principles of this book to myself. I really felt like the Lord gave me a revelation into the scripture that we're going to dive into for the next four weeks. And, uh, and for me to hold that to myself is not, uh, is not fair either, right? So um, I want to just a little bit of background on, on how, I, how I got here, how I got to this, to this book. In 20, 2010, um, I resigned as the lead pastor from the church that we were leading in Perth, Ontario. And uh, we'd been there for eight years, and we'd built a, a brand new building, which uh, was a massive undertaking. Um, the, uh, we might want to mute the computer up there, I don't know. Thanks. Um, uh, it was a massive undertaking, and, uh, and we had gone through some significant challenges as a, as a church staff and board and so on, and uh, by, by January 2010, I was, I was absolutely exhausted, and I knew that I, I couldn't keep going. I, I just... Um, I'd given all I had to give, and I was, I was, bleh, right? Um, and so not only did we not have a new ministry assignment when I resigned in January of 2010, but I had determined not to even look for anything for three months, because I was just, I was so, so tired, so worn out, that I, I knew that I needed a break. And... Uh, and so we did that, um, took some time. During that time, Jesus ministered to my heart, um, 
I experienced his healing and restoring presence over the, the months that followed. And, and he began to fixate my attention on a very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, it, was, it was a passage I'd read oodles of times, if that's a, if that's a number, um, oodles of times over the, over the years. I'd preached on it. I'd heard it preached. And yet, um, you know how there are those moments when God captures your attention with a scripture that you've heard so many times that you don't hear it anymore, but then he breathes fresh life into it, right? And, uh, and he did that for me in this, in this time. And we ended up staying in Boom Road, um, just down the, the, the road from Pam's parents in a, in, a summer, uh, in a house for the summer on the northwest Miramichi River. And while we were in that house, I started writing down the things that God was speaking to my heart. And, uh, and out of that came, came this book. Many of us have heard uh, someone tell us maybe early in our spiritual journey that it says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, or have it abundantly, depending on your translation. We're told that Jesus promised to give us an abundant kind of life, and yet often what we find instead is weariness and exhaustion. Right? You ever wonder, where's that abundant life that I heard about? Where did it go? Right? And we, we maybe start to think, well, maybe that, maybe just meant, Jesus just meant that in a spiritual sense for the afterlife, you know? We'll, we'll have abundant life when we go to heaven. Or maybe, you know, maybe that's for everyone else, but it's not for me. Maybe, maybe God doesn't like me as much as he likes someone else. Right? Maybe he's punishing me. I, he I hear all kinds of things, right? But what if it wasn't that the promise wasn't true, but just that we're doing it wrong? Right? If Jesus promised rest and we're experiencing exhaustion, should we assume the problem is with him or with us? Right? So this series that we're going to do for the next four weeks, starting today, is about the principles of rest and trust and living our lives continually dependent on the empowering and the, and the resourcing of heaven for our lives. When I was pastoring in Perth, um, one weekend we had a, a guest preacher um, in for the in for the weekend special special services and uh, and at the end of the Sunday evening service he and I um, went to a, a local um, pizza joint and just hung out for hours talking about ministry and life we had the we had the restaurant to ourselves we ate pizza and we drank cokes 
And the waitress kept asking us if we wanted more Coke, and we said, just keep, keep it coming, right? We sat there for hours, and we drank many glasses, cups of Coke. And, and I made the foolish assumption that if she's asking, that it was probably free refills, So after about six or eight cups of Coke each, right, hours of conversation, she brings us the bill, and I realize that our drinks cost us four times as much as our pizza did. Our $20 pizza became a $100, you know, bill at the end of the night. And I learned a really important lesson to ask if it's free refills, right? I realized that, that halfway through that night, I had exhausted my resources and we ended up having to split the bill because I didn't have enough on me to pay the bill that night. How often in the Christian life do we just keep going and just keep doing things that we assume we're supposed to be doing? Filling our plate with good things, whether out of a sense of duty or a sense of guilt, we just keep doing and pushing. And when we get tired, we push more. We just keep going. only to find out that we've exceeded our resources long ago and we're exhausted and depleted and burnt out. Right? And no money. Jesus spoke to a group of people in Matthew 11 that felt like that. And he said to them these very familiar words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This passage can be incredibly confusing. Because if Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, why do we end up weary and burdened and in need of rest? Somebody's at the door. Um, right? So, so if... If his yoke is easy and his burden is light, like right within the passage seems a contradiction, seems confusion. If his yoke is easy and his burden is light, how do we end up weary and burdened and in need of rest? Right? But what... What if Jesus didn't just mean this verse as a panic button verse? That when we're exhausted, when we're, we've, we've 
depleted our resources and we're just done, then we can hit this verse and Jesus will give us rest. That's how we often read this verse, isn't it? This is the verse we pull out when it's already too late. When we're already so exhausted, we just need to collapse on the couch and say, Jesus, you said this, help me. Right? But what if that's not what Jesus meant by this verse? What if he's saying there's a way to live where we can have a bottomless cup, where we can have free refills, where we can continually receive the strength and the, and the, the resources of heaven and we don't have to ever get to the place where we are completely done. What if there's a way to live where Jesus is our source and our strength every moment of every day? I want to draw our attention to the three verses that come before these verses for a moment. Because I think they give us a little bit of a hint that what Jesus is doing here is bigger than we thought. Starting in verse 25, it says this in Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary. You ever have those conversations with people where you want to ask a question, but you're so concerned this is a question that they're going to maybe not take the right way, that you first say, can I ask you a question? Right? And then you ask the question. Why do we do that? Because, because this is a really important question and we need to give them a bit of, you know, just a chance to brace themselves. Right? Chance to get ready for what's coming. I remember well, um, the night I proposed to Pam. She was, uh, it was in between Bible college years in the summer, and uh, she was living and working in Halifax for the summer. And I was living and working in Tilsonburg, Ontario for the summer. We were 2,000 kilometers apart. And I knew this question could not wait until September. It needed to happen. Right? So I spent the first half of my summer earnings buying a set of rings, buying a plane ticket, 
And I, I told Pam, I didn't tell her what I was doing, but I told her I was coming to visit her for a weekend. And I, uh, before I left on, for my flight to go to Nova Scotia, I called Camp Evangeline. Pretty sure I talked to either Bob or Della, uh, who were working in the office at that time way back in uh, 92, summer of 92. And, uh, and they sent for Pastor Fred Williams, who came to the phone at Camp Evangeline, and I asked his permission to ask his daughter's hand in marriage. I flew to Nova Scotia. We, uh, I took Pam out to Salty's on the, uh, you know, sitting overlooking the Halifax Harbor, took her out for dinner. We went for a walk down the, down the, uh, down the harbor front and, and back, and we stopped right here under that lamppost. There was, there, was there was a park bench there at the time, and, uh, and we sat on the park bench right under that lamppost, and I got down on one knee, and I... I had some things that I had prepared to say to Pam. And then I asked her to marry me. And I say all that to say that sometimes a question or a th- something we need to say is so big that we don't just, you know, how's the weather? Oh, by the way, will you marry me? <laughs> right? Something, sometimes something is so big that we actually need to take some time to, to prepare either ourselves or prepare the other person for the conversation. And I believe this statement that Jesus made was exactly that, that he was preparing these people for what he was about to say. Jesus' statement in verses 28 to 30 is no passing frivolous comment when he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It was no passing proverb. Jesus wasn't just throwing one out there for people to say, oh, that's nice. But Jesus says, Father, you have... You have hidden these things from the wise and learned, but you've revealed them to children and childlike people who have the ability still to have a a learning heart, a heart of wonder to understand there's more to God than I ever thought there was. He's better than I ever thought he was. And no one knows the the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those He chooses to reveal Him to. Come to me. When Jesus said those words, He was saying, I am about to reveal the Father to you in a way you have never seen Him.
Why was it that 90% of the Jewish leaders at the time had completely missed that God was among them? They had long ago felt that they had God buttoned up in a bow and they knew exactly what he was like and they didn't have hearts that could learn or have wonder any longer. Folks, Jesus did not only come to die for our sins. He, yes, he did that. I'm so thankful that he did. But he did not just come to die for our sins, but he came to show us the Father. That was a big part of his mission. When Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us, Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for so long? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus came to reveal the Father, to, to mess with our, our understanding, our misconceptions of what we thought the Father was like. One of the little stories I tell in, in the book, one afternoon, I was in the living room in our house in Perth. Carrie Ann was eight years old. The other, she was our oldest, and the other two were, were smaller. And, uh, and we're sitting in the living room. The music's, you know, got some music on. And this, this song comes on, Boomin'. It's the name of the song by, by Toby Mack. It's a high-energy song, comes on the, on the stereo, and, and Carrie Ann, eight years old, gets this little mischievous look, and she picks up the, the remote, stereo remote, and turns the stereo up from about three to six. And I give her this look like, you know, give me the remote. And she gets this sheepish look and hands me the remote, and I crank it from six to about eight, right? And she just goes, wah, and just starts laughing, and we start jumping around the living room together, and some songs just have to be played on eight or ten, right? And, but in that moment, I just thought it was so funny that, that she had this assumption that I wanted to squash her fun and the very opposite was true, right? Um, and and I, I shattered in that moment her understanding of what her dad was like in a good way. And folks, we often need our understanding of what our Heavenly Father is like shattered. Because we make assumptions and we have beliefs about what He is like that are so wrong and so steeped in religion that we really have lost touch with his love and his kindness towards us. So what was it about the Father that Jesus wanted us to understand? What was it that people had missed? What was it about living for God 
that people had gotten all wrong. Well, the first phrase of this passage <clears throat> Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, already says so much. That's, that's as far as we're going to get today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. The Pharisees and their religious systems had told people that God was mad at them and that only if they kept a long list of rules would they get God's attention or his affection. And Jesus comes in Matthew 23, later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door on the kingdom, shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. He said things like, Speaking of the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on others' shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They gave the impression that God was entirely unapproachable, and if you had any hope at all, it would be to go through them. They wanted to be the keepers of the door. That's what religious systems do. But folks, God is a God of invitation. God is a God of invitation. And we see it all through Scripture. Again and again, God inviting us to come close. That's what He wants. He doesn't want you to stay away. He wants you to come close. He is a God of invitation. In fact, I would suggest that this entire book is a book of invitation to come to Him. But it gets missed because we tend to see things, when it comes to God, we tend to see things through a filter of shame and guilt and fear. Human religion is all about sin management. Managing our fear of a scary judge God by following a bunch of rules meant to make us more acceptable to him. But the gospel says God came near to you. He came near to you. He is for you and not against you. Jesus came, the scripture says, full of grace and truth. He came to show you what you are like, because we all need to see it. 
but then extended the grace to say, now come and be changed. Right? That's the gospel. Now come and be changed. When, when Adam and Eve did the most infamous act of sin in history and ate what God told them not to to eat and hid in the garden because they didn't want God to see them, God called them out of hiding. Isn't that amazing? He called them out of hiding. What they did was terrible, of course. But God called them out of hiding and then he said, my grace has a plan. My grace has a plan. God calls to Moses and says, come here. God says in Isaiah 1.18, come now, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. Let's have a conversation. Isaiah 55, God says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, come by and eat. Jeremiah 3, God says, return, return, faithless people. I will cure you of your backsliding. Don't run away, come here. In Joel 2, verse 12, in the midst of Israel's rebellion that's so strong, God is actually exiling them to another country. God says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. It's never too late. Come back. Come back. Folks, God is a God of invitation. Jesus comes to the disciples and he says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I'll teach you what life is really about. In the room, when Thomas is doubting Jesus' resurrection, Jesus says, Thomas, come here. Touch my hands. Touch my side. It's me. He didn't condemn Thomas for his unbelief, for his questions. He invited him to come close. He is a God of invitation. Our passage, this passage in, 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 Matthias, in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 is not just a call away from the burdens and stress, but it's a call to him. He doesn't just say, come away from all that stuff. He says, come to me. Come to me, right? 
It matters where we go when we need help. It matters where we go. In Jeremiah 2 verse 13, God summarizes our problem this way. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What does that mean? Well, first of all, he's addressing us. He's not addressing the people of the world. He's addressing us because he says, my people have committed two sins. Right? That's you and me. Our, our, um, the messes that we find ourselves in can be traced back to these two things. That we have forsaken him, the spring of living water, and we've dug our own cisterns, our own water tanks that don't hold water. Rather than getting life and help and healing and strength from the only one who is our source, we so often tend to turn everywhere else. That's what he's saying. Right? This is idolatry. It's idolatry. And we think it will help to turn to those other things, but it will only make things worse. So when we're weary, when we feel beat up, when we're angry or disappointed or confused, where do we turn for comfort and healing and help? Do we turn to Facebook or pornography? or our friends, or retail therapy, or liquid therapy, or food therapy, or binging Netflix, or do we turn to Jesus? Now I know, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we turn to Jesus, sometimes we don't. We put other things ahead of him, right? And Jesus says to people that had the same problem. They didn't have pornography. They didn't have Netflix. They didn't have Facebook, but they had the same problem. That they would turn to other things instead of coming to him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find what you need and what you are looking for. Come to me. God says here in Jeremiah that when we turn to all these leaky cisterns, instead of the spring of living water for our hope and healing, we are short-circuiting 
the life that God has made for us that we're meant to live in. Come to me. Sometimes we do this because we believe the lies of the enemy, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that God doesn't have anything for you anyways. Sometimes we believe that lie. He doesn't really have anything for you anyways. And, and, and all he wants to do is judge you anyways. And, and you've gone too far. You're too stained. You're too broken. He doesn't even want you around. But folks, just the opposite is true. Jesus is telling us here, no matter where you've come from, no matter what your burden has been, no matter what mess you've gotten yourself into, there is an invitation waiting for you to come to him this morning. That is the gospel. That is the good news, that no matter where your life is at, Jesus says, come to me. Some of us this morning, I'm going to invite uh, the worship team to come back up. I'm going to get you to stand, actually. And... Uh, and I'll, I'll get our, can, can our breakthrough team can find their way up here as well? Some of us here this morning have... Um, We've come a thousand times. Some of us here this morning feel like we've worn out our welcome at coming to Jesus. And Jesus wants you to hear this morning that... Um, he is always for you and not against you. He is always waiting. He is always calling out, come to me. Thank you, Pastor. So as we close this morning, we're just going to bow our heads for a moment. <laughs> what a beautiful reminder this morning. What a beautiful reminder this morning, Father, of how you are calling to us. You are wooing us. You are saying, come, come. 
come to me. Come, come to me. No matter where you're at in your journey, whether you know Jesus yet, you've known him for a while, he is inviting you to come to him today. So we thank you, Father, for your presence. We thank you, Father, that you are always drawing us closer through circumstances, through your word, through everything in our life. Lord, you are calling us closer and you're calling us higher. Wow, what a good reminder today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for each person in the room today that as we go, we would remember what you've spoken to our spirits, what you've called us to, and give us the courage to walk it out this week in new and powerful ways. Thank you, Father. Amen. As you go this morning, just want to invite anyone that would uh, like to come forward for prayer. We do have the ministry team's going to spread out a little bit. Um, but even if you just want to come, just you and the Lord, you know, uh, that's okay too. And uh, just remember, He's calling you, He's wooing you. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So have a wonderful week. And don't forget about Alpha tomorrow night. You know, God uh, may not be saying that this is a step for you in your journey, but you, I bet you that you know someone who could really benefit from Alpha, who would love to know the God that is calling to them and saying, come to me. So I just, I challenge you to, uh, to uh, come on out tomorrow night and have a wonderful week.